Welcome back, everyone. Ed Harold with you, your fearless leader. Welcome to another Life with Breath podcast, utilizing your breath as medicine, where we talk about mental health, organizational performance, exercise performance, wellness, and above all, just living our finest life right now, not next year. So today I'm joined by an amazing leader in my community, Jared Banks or Banksy. Welcome. Calling me a leader's optimistic there, Eddie. <laughs> this is one of, one of the most aware people I know on the planet. He's a super guy. We're going to get into his story and things that are going on in his life that are going to help your life in a moment or two. But to begin with, let's just have a little meditation, just a little silent reflection with ourselves. So if it's comfortable for you, let your eyes close. Plant your feet firmly down onto this beautiful planet. Begin to bring your awareness to your breath, this thing called breathing. And if you want to control your breath, great. If you don't want to control your breath, it's okay. And just begin to observe your mind. Don't react to it. Don't respond to it. Just notice the little chit-chat you're having with yourself. If you wish, you can slow your breath down just a little bit, in and out through the nose, and leave the surface mind and get into the opening layers of your deeper mind. A place that's fearless, authentic. Filled with self-love and self-appreciation. And it can't be bought off. Notice as you slow your breath that the pace of the film you're watching in your mind begins to slow down also. And most of the time it's a motion picture. But if you slow your breath down, you can see that it's individual pictures. And the spaces in between the pictures are valuable. So finding the space between doing and being. The space between being active and resting. The space between self-love and self-loathing. And in these little spaces, these little subtle spaces are the clues of the next step of your life. These little symbols that will form words, that will form sentences, that will form perceptions and then decisions. 
and let go of any doubt that God's left you behind because no one gets left behind. Love has forgotten no one. Take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale out through your mouth with a sigh. Ah, become present. When you feel ready, open your eyes. Jared, it's so great to be with you. I met Jared about 10 years ago, and I just knew that he had this magnetism that was rare in young men. He was able to be completely himself in any environment. And I was totally enthralled. I would just sit back and watch him interact with neighbors or, or strangers or other people. And it's, it's contagious. People would start to kind of put their guard down. And next thing you know, they were being real. And, you know, this stuff is contagious, this thing, this self-love thing. Jared, how did you develop the skills as a young man that you use today to help folks that, that might be in pain or in a challenging transition in their life? Man, that's a loaded question. Uh, for me, I think it really started as, as, a, as a child with my father. My father was a military police officer. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things he always taught us was awareness mm-hmm. for yourself first, for your situation, for your surroundings, for what wherever you are to know fully what was going on in that moment on different levels and layers. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so I think that's where it started. And then as I started my career off, I kind of learned that in order to be good at what I do, I needed to be more compassionate. I needed to have more empathy. I needed to be more caring, That it needed to come from a place of love because what I do for a living is all about connection. It's all about Mm -hmm. relatability. It's all about telling a story that people can identify with in some kind of way. And so for the past 23 years, I've been a radio and TV broadcaster. And uh, up until just a few months ago, you know, hosted a, a morning country radio music show here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And the point of all of it was to inject as much positivity into the world as I can. And I think positivity overall is a skill, right? I mean, a lot of people, when you when you think about it that way, positivity is, is an outlook. Positivity is an emotion. Positivity is a skill. And you have to learn to focus on what's positive every day in tiny little moments in order to change your mindset overall. And when it all boils down to it, when we talk about positivity, what we're really talking about is love, finding the love and light that the world has for us, whether you call it energy or whether you call it spirit or whether you call it faith and and the Holy Ghost. What we're talking about is the same energy that moves through all of us, that communicates to us on an atomic and, and, and cellular level that mm-hmm. allows us to connect. And it's love that does all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always available to us. You know, you're very humble. You know, you, you've won some national awards, haven't you as a broadcaster? I've been, I've been lucky. Yes. I've been nominated for several Academy of country music awards and won two for uh, radio station of the year and for morning show personality of the year. I've been nominated for, I think four, or five different country music association 
awards for radio station and personality of the year. We've been nominated for Marconi Award for um, radio station of the year. We've won a Crystal Award from the National Association of Broadcasters for radio station of the year. So I've been really blessed to, to have a resume that looks pretty incredible. But at the end of the day, you know, what good is it all for? It's about making my world better. Well, congratulations, man. As a young professional out there, your resume is already exemplatory. You know, as a young father, you know, I know you have two sons. And I get the opportunity to interact with these youngsters, you know, on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, when I first met them, they were like this. And, you know, now we're moving into another transitional phase. And these are probably two of the finest young men that I've ever met in my life. And, you know, it comes from mom and dad. Uh, you know, what are some of the skills you're trying to teach to the youngsters today? Gosh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's really a weird place to to verbalize that, I think, from, from a parental standpoint, because we don't ever talk about that out loud, right? Right. Like that's not, it's not like you write that goal down on a table and, you know, in a, in a desk, uh, on a vision board, you know. When I think about the way I try to teach my kids, it's the, the words of my dad always echo in my head. Mm -hmm. He said, I never tried to do what was right. I always tried to do what God wanted for us. And everything else after that didn't matter. And so I'm trying to teach that to my kids, that if you approach things with, with faith, with honesty, with sincerity, and with love, that the rest of it is really inconsequential and insignificant, you know, that, that life's going to be hard, there's going to be challenges, but just because something's hard doesn't mean it's traumatic. You know, I think we've forgotten in our prosperity that, you know, as soon as something gets hard, we want to act like it's a tragedy and it's this huge road, uh, road bump. And, uh, and it's not. This right. is life. Life is hard. So why make it harder? Find a way to see the best in what we have and, and push your way through that in the middle of all that, you know, managing emotions and expectations and, and what you want to do when you grow up and, you know, who you want to be is, is more important than what you want to do with right. your life. You know, that yeah, your that... character, that your integrity, that those things matter more than what your nine to five is. I think as men, so many times we're defined by what our job titles are and our business cards and, and our email signatures, right? Like we identify with, I do this for a living and I'm an engineer, or I'm a doctor, I'm a police officer, but that's not who you are. That's what you do. Right. You know, and the integrity of who you are matters more. That's a big part of my work, you know, with especially the guys, you know, it's balancing the doer and the beer. And keeping those in balance, not letting the doer overwhelm the beer and and being curious, you know, being an adult, but also, you know, when you're not being an adult, making adult decisions, it's OK to be a child. It's OK to be a boy and you know, everything shouldn't be white knuckled, you know, to the end of the line. Yeah. And, you know, the imagination that my kids have, they're 14 and 10, you yeah. know, 14 year olds, a freshman in high school. He's a full blown young man enjoying everything. But he has these moments, thankfully, through. A lot of it is just games and video games with his friends where he gets to let his imagination run wild and visit worlds and do all these things. The young one is still at 10 years old, fully enveloped in his imagination and the, the games that he plays in his room and in his mind with his toys and with his friends. It's yeah. beautiful to watch. And I don't ever want to take that from him because the world always tells us so quickly to grow up to put childish things away. And I think there's a time and a place for those things that allow us to stay connected to a part 
of our heart and our mind that is necessary for us to be healthy. Yeah, you know, I think you see kids today, you know, and you can basically classify them. Here's kids that are being parented and you can see that you can feel that. And then there's the other kids who are parenting their parents. And, you know, that's just a whole nother dynamic. You know, we're, we're making investments. You know, all of us are making investments today on what we want or would prefer to occur tomorrow. And right. when we think about, you know, the investment we make, we make on our kids, you know, it, it's different because nothing's guaranteed. Nothing is given. You know, we've got to teach that you have to pay attention when the times get tough. You know, you don't run every red light. You know, when time gets tough, you pause and you just relax for a moment and know that you're okay. And to to be able to process that all in a healthy way, really, right? Like, yeah. you know, to to be able to know that just because it sucks now doesn't mean it's always going to suck, you know, yeah. and that that there are really bright, shining moments that will define your life beyond what this struggle is. There's incredible lessons in the struggle. There's incredible wisdom in the struggle and the hard times. You know, my my grandfather, when he left Western Samoa, he was born and raised in the South Pacific, left just post-World War II, worked a steamship and worked his way to New Zealand where he met my grandmother. And they grew to a point there where their life had hit certain roadblocks, but they wanted more for their children. So they emigrated to America in the 60s to build a life for my father and his sister. Um, And so they built that life and got to a certain point where in my family, we had only gone so far and it was in my family's best interest for us to move back to New Zealand. And culturally, I learned so many things from that experience so that Mm -hmm. when I came back to America as a young man in my 20s and restarted my life, I had a very different perspective on what it meant to be successful. You know, in America, we define success by how much money is in your bank account, the size of your house, what kind of car you drive. And I've never defined success that way personally. And I've been Mm -hmm. lucky enough to have that, you know, um, perspective that was, I don't know if if it's a gift from God or if it's a blessing of my upbringing, but to know that the sacrifices that were made by the generations before me have laid the groundwork for where I'm at today and that it is imperative on me to continue for the next generation to, to build on where they are and to, to, to allow them to have what they have. So for me, the way that we live is so much more extravagant than the way that we grew up. And that for my kids, that's their baseline for expectation. Right. You know, so that that's their standard. So now what are they going to do with their life to live that standard as young men, rather than as an older man, like I am getting to, to bring the next generation to, to that standard, you know, and, and, and change generations of my family in the trajectory of our lives. So, you know, I also noticed that you're in a beautiful marriage and, you know, marriage, you know, every day the sun doesn't come out and, uh, you know, being a man and, you know, being what it really means to be a man, not just, you know, the 1920 version of a man, you know, uh, it takes amazing courage. It it takes a constant self inquiry uh, on ourselves, taking inventory with ourselves. Do you have any advice out there for for men your age that you know that are in a marriage that that uh, you know they want to improve but maybe don't have the skill sets to improve themselves or they're you know they're doubting their choices about where they are in their life? There's a couple of different ways to to go about it, and I saw something online that actually made me think about this the other day. What do you think the number one biggest reason for failed marriages is, Eddie? Cell phones. 
It's close. Could be. Cell phones, this is the escape. But the number one, the largest contributor to failed marriages is uncommunicated expectations. Women are taught from the time they are young what to expect from a man. But they're never Mm -hmm. taught how to treat a man. Mm -hmm. Men from a very young age are taught how to treat a woman, but are never taught what to expect from a woman in return. And so you have to come from a place that is very raw, but it's a very healthy place to be when you can be honest with each other about what you expect, about what you need from that person, and be able to set those boundaries for your relationship going forward. And guess what? It's not a one and done thing. Falling in love is the easy part. Staying in love over a lifetime is the hard part. So every couple of years, as your life changes, as your kids get out of diapers and they get into school, as they get into sports, as they get into high school, as they start driving, every single one of those milestones, as your jobs change, as your situations change, Mm -hmm. you have to reevaluate and reestablish those boundaries. And it takes us as men swallowing a lot of our pride and Mm -hmm. being honest with where we are. And it also takes a partner who's willing to invest that as well. You know, the idea that a marriage is fair mm-hmm. is is so right. off base. You know, it's never fair. You always do what's necessary. Marriage isn't 50-50. Marriage is 100 and 100. You have to be all in for your partner, knowing and trusting that they are all in for you. And if that trust isn't there, well, then you've got some issues that you need to work on and you've got some some conversations that you need to have about how you build that trust and how do you get to a point and a place where you can be all in for that other person. It's okay for me as a father to put myself last and to put my entire family before myself to take care of them financially, emotionally, physically, to protect them, to do all the things as a father that I need to do because I know my wife is there to nurture, to care for, to to be my island, to be my safe space, you know? And to to do all the things that I need to be vulnerable with her when the rest of the world, I have to have my armor up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely a dance. You know, it's an energetic dance. And, you know, when you stop dancing, things happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about issues that we that we all go through as men in marriage and things like that. And one thing I've noticed over the years is that what I perceive the trigger or, or the problem nine out of 10 times I'm way off base, but my Uh initial trigger to what I think the issue is, it's not the issue. Rarely is it ever right. Yeah, (laughs) And and, And even if it is, it's not your place to tell her how to fix it. You know, it's like the story of the woman that came to her husband with a nail in her forehead. And she says, gosh, babe, my head really hurts. And, you know, I was out doing this and, and, and I fell and the, the nail went into my forehead and the husband's going, well, yeah, come here. Let me pull the nail. No, stop. Will you listen to me and listen to what I'm telling you? I have right. this giant headache. It's bleeding. You know, she doesn't need you to fix all of her problems. Women, especially today, are so much stronger and more intelligent than I think society ever gives them credit for that sometimes they just need to be heard. And it's not our job as as men. We want to fix everything, right? Like we know the solution. Give me a set of pliers. I'll pull the damn nail out of your forehead. She can pull the nail out of her own forehead. She wants you to acknowledge that she's having a hard time and that she's struggling and that she needs your strength emotionally so that she can solve her own shit. (laughs) It's so funny because testosterone is such a dangerous hormone. You know, you get all worked up 
you know, and let me get this out right now so we can get back to home yeah. base. And she's like, because <laughs> that's the estrogen. You know, it's very cooling, you know, where testosterone is very hunter gatherer. You know, let's get the problem. Let's eviscerate it and get back to home base. So already we're completely different species and we're trying to figure things out. And, you know, where can I learn to cool my fire, so to speak? And, and where can, where, because, you know, my wife doesn't need to, to add any fires. She's already perfected in the estrogen when she's on. But there's a big portion of society that's tried to turn women into men. And, you know, like the whole women's movement, you know, they're going to bring women into work. And, you know, that's great if you wanted to bring women into work, but they brought women into work and turned them into men. And then they had the, twice the issues. They had to take care of the kids at home and they got to go to work. You know, it was like a trap. I think it in in terms of like classic feminism, you know, I, I fully support and appreciate that 100% in that classic yeah. feminism isn't about equality for women. It's about equality for everyone. It's about allowing people right. in their natural state to be safe, to be vulnerable, to be free and to exist as they were created. You know, where I think we've lost as we've lost a lot of things in the modern plot, everything has become extreme now. And so everything is all the way out on the fringes and we're out on these sections out here yelling and screaming at each other when the reality is most of us are existing in a space that's this close together emotionally. And we have to get back to the simplicity of that. You know, I think we need to ground ourselves in how are we aligned with each other? And men and women are so naturally perfectly mm -hmm. established to balance each other out yeah that when we start trying to redefine who and what we are that's when things really go crazy and hit those extremes that we are beautiful and we are so naturally created to have that partnership with another person and to have that connection with another person that we are really incomplete without it i think there's a reason that god took the rib out of adam and not mm -hmm. a toe out of adam it's right. because women were meant to be literally by our side, mm -hmm. by our side, gentlemen, that it is together that with her, we are better, that I am incomplete without her and she without me, you know, and, and neither one is more important than the other. And that the two of you together can stand before God in the world and face whatever challenges come at you. I have a four-step process mentally that I go through. Um, that I've kind of internalized and created over the years. You know how it is. You read a million different books and you hear a million different speakers and everybody has their own way, right? right. Everybody has their own method and they want to charge you $150 for a two-day weekend session where there's going to be a concert at the end and treats and snacks to be able to monetize their idea from you, you know? like. But yeah. for me, all of these pieces have come together in four simple steps and I call it the, the RISE method, mm -hmm. you know, R-I-S-E. First, you have to recognize there's a problem. And fellas, don't worry if you're married. Lots of times she'll let you know there's a problem. So you don't have to do a whole lot of recognizing, right? Something's right. out of balance. Something's out of whack. Something isn't what it should be. Recognizing is probably the easiest part of, of the, the whole process. The second one is where it gets a little harder. You have to identify where the problem is coming from. And that's in two parts. There's an internal part of that and an external part of that. One is what's happening to me that is negative or that is out of alignment with where I need to be and what I need to be doing. And the other part of it is how am I reacting in such a way 
that is adding to those problems. Mm -hmm. Am I aware enough to be able to recognize that it takes both parts of those before you can get to a solution? So you have recognized there's a problem. You have to identify the internal and external factors of that problem. Then you have to simplify all of the distractions. And this is a hard thing. You have to break down all of the things in your life that are not contributing in any kind of positive Mm -hmm. way and eliminate them. You know, whether that's uh, a job, whether or just I'll give you a personal example in my life. We bought a boat two years ago and we used to live in Florida. We had a boat. We loved our time on the boat. Now living in Utah, we wanted a boat, except that every time we took that boat out, something went wrong and we got in a fight and it got ugly and we started calling each other names. And I decided I didn't need that influence in my life. And for as much fun as a boat is that I was hell bent and determined to sell the boat. Right. Rid of that influence in my life. It's easy to put a tangible thing like a boat Mm -hmm. in that box and say, but there are so many other factors that go along with it. Is it habits that you've created? You know, what are you reading? What are you doing during the day? What are you not doing during the day? Like exercising, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. are you taking a moment to breathe and center and focus yourself? Are you grounding? Are you connected to the earth and to the things around you? So the simplification process can be tricky because you actually have to Find the source of your problems and eliminate them, you know, and then the final plan is to the final one is the E. You have to execute a plan to move forward and to build. So it's a constant tearing down process and rebuilding. So you recognize, you identify, you simplify and you execute. And every time there's a problem, I have to rise above my problems and overcome that situation. And that's how I have kind of internalized it. And. And that's my process of self-evaluation that I've gone through over the years. That's really helped me. That's a great, great awareness for guys to have, for people to have. And we love acronyms. It makes it easy to remember too. So like, yeah, you know, we're, we're simplifying, (laughs) you know, we're simplifying, you know, what part of you is so high and mighty that everything has to be complex and there's all these levers and wires and trap doors to make you feel like you have value. You know, this this human game is it's all about simplifying. And when it's not simple, you're not ready to do it. And it's pretty much the dance between knowledge and ignorance in that cycle. It takes place all the time, you know, and there's tremendous amount of wisdom in ignorance. If we can just stay young with it and don't be a know it all and look at read the tea leaves with the awareness that you have today because you have more awareness right now than you've ever had in your entire life you know you can give yourself a test you know the the test might be are you still alive there's stuff to learn there's still breath in me so i still have something to fight for you know when we come out of school in our 20s we think we know everything and we're going to change the world right and then you get 10 15 20 years in And you think, you know, I didn't know anything in my 20s, but I've got a few things figured out and I think I know what I want to do going forward. And then you get to, you know, your 40s, 50s and 60s and you realize that everything you knew was obsolete. Everything you know is going to be obsolete and that you have to keep learning and continuing to renew that education and information in yourself. You know, when you're when you're five years old, you think your dad's Superman and he can do anything right. And then you turn 15 and you think he's Lex Luthor and he's the absolute most evil influence in your life. And all he's trying to do is tear you down. And then you hit 45 and you realize that he's old man Kent 
He's just mm -hmm. a regular old farmer that had an alien fall out of the sky. And he's trying to raise this creature up into being the best thing that it can be and represent all that's good and positive in the world. Um, so we have to continue to keep learning and breaking down the old us and rebuilding the new us in order to stay healthy, in order to stay consistent with what's going on. Because the world you grew up in is very different than the world that I grew up in. And we're mm -hmm. only about 10 years apart in age, 15 years apart in age. The world that my kids grew up in is vastly different than the world that you and I grew up in. And the world that they will face as young men in their 20s and 30s will be wildly different even still. So to give them the tools like recognize, identify, simplify, execute, no matter what situation you're in, you can apply that in the most simplest way to build what is a positive character and identity with integrity, with, you know, all the things that we want our men to be in the world. So, yeah. you know, and really what it all boils down to, if we look at it as a, as a Christian and as a man of faith, I believe it comes from God. And what is the most pure representation of, of God or of spirit or of energy? It is love. It is emotion. It is connectivity. It's what draws us together and allows us to be it. That's the human connection. It's love. That's what, you know, what really the, the measure of wealth should be. How much love is in my life? Not how much money is in my life, but how much love am I surrounded by? That I think is a true measure of success. That's the currency. That's the big game. You know, you and I think, money. so I just got, I'm wearing this hat. Let me show you this. So light the fuse. Yeah. And I got to talk about this uh, over the, the 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 driveway the other day, but I got to go to this light the yeah. fuse retreat. It's it's my friend Vincent Vargas, uh, his veteran foundation, uh, Tomorrow Battalion. It's an incredible group of men who got together to give combat veterans a way to heal, to find new ways of putting their past behind them, releasing real trauma. I mean, these are men that have seen the darkest of what humanity can do to each other and find a way to set that aside and to be better. And so I not only got to participate, but I got to speak at the event. When I got there, I didn't know when I was going to speak or what I was going right. to be speaking on because it was very flexible due to the schedule. And my friend Vince came to me about midway through and said, I want you to speak on love and expressing love in a healthy way, especially to guys who are real warriors, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about the, the modern world, these are guys that, you know, have flown in helicopters, driven tanks, you know, carried weapons in, on, on the battlefront. And I got to thinking about some conversations that we'd had in the past about how we express love. And I think homophobia in the modern world has robbed men of the comfort of expressing affection to another man without being seen as anything but weak. Mm -hmm. You know, I've known you for the better part of a decade. Every single time I see you <laughs> as a man and as a friend, we exchange a big, long, firm hug. And I tell you, I love you, you know, yeah. and there's no fear in that because I know that it's not in, in our modern society driven by sex. Mm -hmm. It's not by attraction. It's not by mm -hmm. lust. When we think love anymore, we associate that so much with sex and how it's bought and sold that it's mm -hmm. almost stripped the word love of its meaning. You know, the Greeks have eight different key words that they use to describe love. We have one, really? eight words just for love. There are three main ones though. And the others are kind of derivatives off of it. And when I say love, it's really easy for me because I know the type of love I'm describing from this standpoint. 
you know, the, the first one is the obvious one and we can get out of the way is Eros, the erotic mm -hmm. love. The Greek philosophers used to say it's the only love hot enough to burn two souls into one mm -hmm. is how they would describe it. Right. So we know that we're mm -hmm. all familiar with that. Those of us that have been in relationships and been in love, we can set that aside and understand that when I say I love you to my wife, it's different than when I say I love you to my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Which, so how do I express that to my neighbor in a healthy way? The Greeks use the word phylos or from, from the root uh, filial or family, right? The mm -hmm. brotherly love, the friendly love, the companionship love, the neighborly love, the love that you just have for your fellow person. That's an mm. easy way to express that love, that filial, familial, family love. And then the third way that they describe it is agape, which is the unconditional love. That is the godly love. That is the love that I feel like we have for our children, right? The I would take a bullet for you, love. I would do anything for you, love. You know, so God expresses love to us with agape. You and I express love to each other with phylos. We express mm. love to our spouses with eros. Okay. And the other derivatives that the Greeks have are offshoots from that. When, you know, mm -hmm. you talk about mania, which is an excessive, obsessive type of love and all the other different loves and the different expressions that they have of it are all really derivatives of those main three. So as men, to be able to express love in a healthy way, one, we have to get over the fear of physical contact because there is a mm -hmm. real energy transfer when you mm -hmm. can take another man and hold him and hug him and feel his heartbeat and his breath mm -hmm. on your shoulders and just that exhale of safety and comfort knowing that mm -hmm. you have a brother. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then to be able to express that and vocalize it out loud, there is so much power in that. There is so much strength in that. There is so much unity in that, that as men, we are missing. Love is not a commodity. Love is a necessity. Mm -hmm. We literally need it as much as we need air and food and water. We need love as human beings. We need that herd around us. So while I was at Light Diffuse, one of the guys who was there, uh, his name's Matt. He's the senior combatives instructor at West Point Academy. One of the most elite military academies in all the world, maybe that ever existed. And he and I got to talking about this. And he said, you know, he had never thought of love as a necessity. It was mm -hmm. always in his world, something that had to be reduced, repressed and removed because of the things that he was teaching people to do. And I told, I looked at him straight in the face and I said, greater love hath no man than this, that he giveth up his life for his friends. Even in war, mm -hmm. you need to love the person next to you while you are committing such incredible acts of violence for whatever reason to those across from you. That even in that most darkest mm -hmm. moment that love exists. And that we need it as much as we need air to breathe in order to exist. It makes perfect sense. You know, I used to tell people everything is love in disguise. Yes, I like that. You know, <laughs> the whole universe is on automatic and it's sustained by love. It was created by love and it perseveres through love. And we all go through these different incarnations of non-love and then eventually we come back to our heart after trying it on our own. We, we lick our wounds and then we get back out in the game and then we've got another scheme or plan and, you know, the heart patiently waits for us. And, you know, you, if you think about it, you know, God wins in the end and love sustains all of us and the choice is ours. And the great part about it is we're choosing our experience. And as men, 
I, I think it's great because we don't, most men don't like to be chosen for. Mm-hmm. They want to be the chooser and never giving that power away as much as you possibly can in your life. Choose your reality, choose your experience, participate. Life's a participation sport here on earth. You must participate. But how are you going to participate? Are you going to participate with envy? Are you going to participate with anger? Are you going to participate with judgment? Or am I going to participate with love in my interactions with my kids? You know, because I don't always get it right with them. I lose my temper. You know, I cuss and I swear. And, you know, they they didn't listen and they didn't do what I'm told. But, you know, when was the last time as a parent you apologized to your child for losing your temper? Right. You know, when my kids get in trouble, I make them come to me and they have to stand in front of me. And we have this talk about what you did wrong and how you're going to do better and how we're going to move forward. But there have been times where I have to go to them and I get down on their level and I apologize to them for losing my temper. And I probably don't do it as much as I should because I am far from perfect. But for them to understand that as a parent, it is my job to reprove at times with sharpness, but afterwards show that increase in love. So there is never a doubt when things get hard that I've got their six, the dad has their back. And I don't think either of my kids or my wife ever really doubt that in any way. And so when you talk about choosing your adventure through life, yeah, you get to choose what you're going to do, but you also get to choose how you're going to do it. And if your perspective is from love, then we don't have any of this political posturing and pandering that we see in the media now. You know, we don't have any of this us versus them, you know, extremist garbage. I can look at every single person in every home around me. And and we're lucky that we live in a neighborhood where we know every home, six, eight different houses to the east, west, north and south of us. We know them. And they're all so wildly and vastly different in their personalities and their experiences. But I can genuinely express love for each of them in the relationships that I've built. And if each of us did that, how much different would our society and our world be? Yeah. You want to fix our country? You want to fix the world? Fix your home first. Fill your home with love. Yeah. And then fill your neighbor's home with love. And watch how quickly and how different the world looks if we would all just do that. Yeah, you know, there seems to be this dance between the outer world, you know, and our sense perception and the the inner world and our value. And there's a disconnect between the value obviously you're here for a reason greater than you could even it's so difficult to even attempt to describe god's love for us so and it gets emotional and it gets messy but at the end of the day knowing that god loves you then it really doesn't matter outside you you know who you who you're not in love with Mm mm-hmm (laughs) So my friend Kim Norman wrote a book called Our Soul's Journey. And the very first thing that she talks about in there is that you have to connect with your source. And she put it that way very specifically, that you have to realize that you are completely and wholly eternal, Mm -hmm. that you are connected to God or spirit or energy, however you want to identify it, it is the exact same thing that we are all talking about and that your value comes from a completely pure place based on your relationship with God. Everything else after that is secondary. I know that I'm a child of God and that he loves me. 
And everything else in my life should come from that perspective. And if my self-worth is based on anything other than that, if it's based on my boss's opinion of me or my wife's opinion of me or, you know, my neighbor's opinion of me, then it's going to fall short by measure, right? But if it's based from that place of hope, faith, love, and charity from a loving God who knows me, then how can I go wrong? Because God wins and he will always win. Hey, you know, love, love isn't temporary. <laughs> That's only ego. You know, when you when you think about this source, you know, that's why whether I'm conscious of it or not, I've been in this breathing game, personal growth and performance excellence for the last 25, 30 years professionally. You know, this breath has a tendency to connect you with your source. And when you become aware that there's something greater inside you than what you perceive yourself to be. You have a tremendous force to maybe overnight or over a period of time or over the rest of your lifetime to remove those fragmented parts of ourselves that are ungodlike. They are selfish, greedy, arrogant, whatever the phrase might be. It You know, it's it's such a unique process, I think, for everyone, because I think some of us are very lucky to be imbued with those gifts naturally. I think they come to certain people easier than they come to other people for whatever reason that is, you know, whether it's, you know, that the intelligence that is us and our core as our spirit is naturally aligned certain ways or whether these are struggles and challenges that we're given to overcome in this life, you know, that that we have to find at our root. And I think this is such a powerful thing about simply breathing. You know, I grew up in a mixed culture home, um, part mm -hmm. white, part Polynesian, and the easiest way to explain it is through the word love in the, the Hawaiians, the, the Samoans, the Tongans. It's all similar in Hawaii. It's what? Aloha. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows the term Aloha, right? In Samoan, it's Aloha. Mm -hmm. Very similar phrase, but it means to have spirit. If you have spirit and you recognize and communicate spirit, what do we always say in the islands? You share Aloha. Mm -hmm. You share that love and that connection. And if you don't have it, you are without spirit and you don't have that mana, that energy, that connection to you, that the one thing that is eternal is love. And you see that over and over and over again throughout cultures all over the world, th completely disconnected cultures, that if you look more often than not over this, the, the millennia and centuries, that it's all love. Yeah. It's about a gift from God to us or from us to our next generation. It's about that connection and that connectivity. And, and it starts with breath. That breath of life that God gave us is, is his literal gift of love to us. Whether mm -hmm. you believe it was God giving it to Adam in the garden of Eden, or whether you believe it was the ancestors giving it to us to have this mortal experience here on earth, or wh whatever way you want to call it, that breath that is the core of us that penetrates all the way down to our heartbeat, because with your breath, you can control your mind. You mm -hmm. can control exactly. your heartbeat. You can align all of the different senses and systems in your body, right? I've learned all of these things from you. I sound really smart right now, but I'm just regurgitating everything I've ever read in your book, Eddie. Um, <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. You know, um, we have these different influences in our life that give us these things. And it, when it all boils down to it, when life gets loud, 
when things get crazy, if we stop and focus on that breath, and for me, then recognize in that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. identify my influence in it, the external influence in it. Mm-hmm. Here comes the clarity. <sighs> simplify the distractions around it let your mind quiet all the noise Mm. here comes the positivity and the love in my life (sighs) there go the distractions Mm. what am i going to do now i have recognized and calmed and quieted my mind through my breath Mm. where am i going to go next (sighs) Mm. hold it you know the clarity is is in the simplest of moments it is in those quiet, tiny little spaces that you can feel real connection to the electricity that runs through mm-hmm. us. Yeah. You know, the spark, the light of life, the, the light of Christ, whatever idea or term you want to put on it. It is the same energy that connects all of us. And whether it's life with breath, whether it's life with love, make it life with healing. Mm-hmm. Put the past behind you and find a way to build on your experience. You know, you will never be as young as you are right now, but you are also older and wiser than you have ever been in your life. And both of those exist in this same moment and you have it now and we continue to get older and wiser, but we will never be any younger and more energetic and have that effervescence for life. So the goal in life should be to die young as old as possible yeah. To enjoy all the things that we have in it and to do all the things that we love. And, uh, and I, I think that's at, at its root, what it's all about. And for me, it's about passing that on to my children, to my grandchildren, recognizing that my ancestors passed it on to me. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. You know, your life to simplify it as an observer, you know, is a life of service. And, the service, number one, the service is that you predominantly live fearlessly. You don't identify yourself with weaknesses or self-doubt or criticize yourself. So there's this fearlessness, absence of insecurity that it's not going to work out. And it's taken, it's taken years to cultivate this by watching your parents cultivating it yourself as a young man and then working in the entertainment industry. But one thing that's amazing to me is that you've got this light, this fearlessness, and a good portion of what you do is you go back to the guys who have temporarily dimmed their light or are not as bright as you. And you get tremendous satisfaction you know, being that helping hand, being that communicator, being that reflection, you know, so that we're all in this together. So for the guys that are, have done some work and have a little bit of an awareness of the bigger picture of the purpose, the first thing you want to do is you want to go back and get the others that are in the darkness. That's you know, I, work, is. I work with a lot of veterans organizations, obviously with Light the Fuse, yeah. with Hero yeah. Sports and some others. And there's a story that circulates in those circles about PTSD and trauma, you know, that this soldier has dug himself into a hole emotionally 
And that hole is depression and post-traumatic stress syndrome. And somebody comes along and sees that soldier in the bottom of that hole and says, look, just stand up and climb out. But he can't. He's in the darkness. He's in the hole. He doesn't know what to do. Then a doctor comes along and says, pull yourself up and focus and recognize, identify, simplify, execute. But he can't. He's in the darkness. He's in the mud. He's in the dirt. And then another soldier comes along and jumps down in the hole and puts his arm around that man and says, it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. I'm here with you. Mm. And the first soldier looks at him in the eyes and says, you idiot. Now we're both stuck in the hole. But the second man can look at him without fear Mm -hmm. and say, it's okay, because I know how to get out. Mm -hmm. And until someone has been in that hole, it's hard for someone like me to be able to identify with them. Once you figure out that way out, once you figure out what's helped, and it's different for everybody, you know, to go and share that with as many people as I can, because if I can help one person, if I can help five people, if I can help 500 people, what Mm -hmm. a blessing that is. And we're all better off for it. So well said. Now, when, when you were younger, you're already young. Tell me about about young. I'm 44 years old, man. Tell me about your rugby career when you were out running over people. I, so it's funny because I, I was never a great rugby player, right? Uh, Um, The older I get, the better the stories about how good I was used to be, you know? Um, When my family moved to New Zealand, I discovered the game of rugby and loved playing it. But the kids that all went to the high school that I was at, were all professional and international level players. They were so far above where I had been and what I was doing. So I never was able to kind of aspire to those heights for playing the game. I always just played the game because I loved to play rugby. And when I moved back to America, I found a community here in Utah with my local rugby club with Park City Haggis Rugby that allowed me to have a community that allowed me to fit in despite how weird, how awkward, how, you know, angry, how positive, how happy. It didn't matter that I had a place with those men that I could go and we could participate in something together that made us all better, that we could work towards a common goal that, you know, thankfully gave me for shoot 20 years, you know, a place to be competitively, you know, and I have the fortune now of continuing to work with the Utah Warriors rugby program in major league rugby. I get to go to Aspen rugger fest every year and still connect with the rugby community. And it has turned into a real genuine family. These are men that I have literal blood, sweat, and tears with over years of traveling and playing a game that I love that there are core values instilled in the game of rugby, of mutual respect, of honor, of discipline, of integrity that reflect in my life, I think, on a day-to-day level. And sport does that for a lot of us, you know, and we have to separate sport too, because there's sport for kids and amateurs that teach us community, that teach us cooperation, that teach us personal growth, that teach us self-improvement, that teach us self-awareness. And then there's professional sport that is literally just gladiators in the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. And that it is mindless entertainment. We gain nothing from professional sport as humans. Mm-hmm. We can gain almost everything in regards to our character and who we are 
from playing and participating in amateur sports if we are surrounded by good people. And rugby gave that to me. It ended up being my home. I was never great at it. I was always good enough to play significantly on whatever team I was on. I was never the star player. I was never the highlight real guy, but I was just happy to be out there and not on the couch and with my brothers participating in something that we all really enjoyed. Beautiful. You know, whether we're aware of it or not, conscious of it or not, I believe life is a constant search for the truth. When you think about the game of rugby and the training it took and how the game is played, can you speak about how it is a perfect metaphor for how life reveals the truth to us play by play and incremental little movements. So you, we're all aware, right, that there are all, in every sport parameters that you have to operate in, right? There's a sideline, right. there's your equipment, there's all these things. But rugby is so special to me because there's a phrase that we always use in rugby to let your other teammates know where you are and what you're doing. And that term is simply with you. Mm -hmm. So as I'm running with the ball, Mm -hmm. And people are trying to tackle me. If we look at it as a metaphor for life, as life's challenges come at me and they're trying to destroy me and chop me down, I hear over one shoulder with you right, with you right. I hear over my other shoulder with you left, with you left. And I know there are other people who are working towards that same goal to advance the ball forward. Now in rugby, you can't pass the ball forward the way you can in American football. You can only pass the ball backwards. So you have to give the position that I'm already in up to someone else mm -hmm. in order to advance the ball forward. And then what is my job? Now I have to drop back and I have to call to that ball carrier with you right, with you left, and let them know that I'm there for them and they are now running the ball forward. You know, so that's really the, for rugby, the most special and the, the most spiritually connected thing about the game is just those two simple words with you. So in the, in the search for truth, the foundation of this is all about communication. Whether it be interpersonal or whether it be with another. What it's is the quality of the But make sure that what you are communicating to bring it all back together is love because that's what's eternal. That's what is universal across time, space, cultures, miles, years, everything, you know, that to be able to communicate love and support in the game of rugby, love in life and relationships, mm -hmm. you know, and however we want to break down and communicate that, you know, communication is key, but make sure that what you are communicating comes from a place of love. You know, people say that life is really just a series of patterns. It's a series of habits, but it's all basically one pattern. And there's lots of different names for it. And our life, there's a pattern of life in every cell in our body. And when you think about patterns, I think of you as someone who's got a pretty good grip on the pattern. 
Well, the, the, the pattern is, I think maybe I'm not smart enough to see the forest through the trees sometimes, you know, that I'm a, I'm a, I like to think of myself as a pretty simple person. I don't get too caught up in the weeds and the details, you know, is what I'm doing, making my life and the life of my family and those around me better. Yes. Then it's something I should be engaged in. And if it's not, then why am I wasting my time and energy on that thing? You know, and so the patterns that I build are patterns that bring joy into my life, not happiness. That's temporary, but joy mm -hmm. that when I see my neighbors across the street, my face lights up because I have invested in them and they have invested in me. And we share that connectivity and that love. And that as I repeat that pattern incrementally of showing tiny little bits of love, tiny little bits of appreciation, tiny little bits of affection, tiny little bits of understanding. That's the pattern that has been repetitive for me in my life. And, you know, whether I understand it or not, you know, if I look at it, that's the point. That's the, the core of life is to, you know, build up the love that you have in your account so that you cannot keep it and take it with you, but you can give it away. You know, the goal is the goal at the end of the day is to be completely empty of life, energy, force and charge because you have given it in every way, shape and form you can until your last moment. You know, and if I have left all of that energy that I've been able to charge with this generator that is my personality and give it all away to others who need that charge. You know, Dolly Parton has a great saying. She says, if you see someone without a smile, give them yours. Yeah. That's you may be the only part. positive thing in that person's day at, at, at that moment in that time and in that second, but it could change not just their day, but it could change their life, you know, and that's, that's love, man. That's all it is. Well, you know, cause you get it, you get it right back. <laughs> like as soon as you give someone a smile, who's temporarily lost theirs, you're immediately recharged at the source of who you are. Mm -hmm. It's all about the individual. When you talk about those patterns, that cyclical giving and receiving, you know, the more you give away, the more you get. And the universe really understands and recognizes that and uses people in that way. You know, some people get charged up by being around other people. You know, some people get charged up by being alone and being able to ground and center and meditate themselves mm -hmm. and refill their batteries. But either way, we are exchanging energy with each other. And to what end, you know, everybody brings joy and happiness into your life. Some people, when they show up and some people, when they go be the right. type of person who people are excited to see. You know, I've, I've noticed over the years, you know, being as you came your well, the radio background obviously was huge and, you know, your show was such a huge hit. And, you know, I, I noticed you were a, a great listener, you know, a very active listener. You know, you were tuning into what you were hearing and you had, you know, massive emotional muscles, you know, not just big muscles, but you had great emotional muscles where you had this huge EQ or emotional intelligence. And it also blended with an awareness that you developed between education and experience. And these tools are now leading you into your your next career, which I think is a podcast you have coming out. Yeah. I mean, I guess this, this might be, I mean, big chunks of this might end up being, you know, episode one. Right. Um, huh. So I have, I have decided, I mean, my only real marketable skill and gift to society besides loving the person next to me is the ability to tell a story in a coherent and cohesive way. 
So I'm going to start the, the Banksy Talks podcast, and it's just a, a podcast about people. It is a chance to sit down with some of the most interesting people in my life and let them tell their stories and their experiences and share how it made it better. Because if your story, and this is one thing I learned working in broadcast and especially in radio, because there's such a personal connection with how people consume broadcast radio, TV broadcasts to everybody. And you know, you're talking to a large audience, everybody's sitting in front of their TV together at the same time. People listen to radio in their cars, in their showers, on their phones. People listen to radio and consume it one-on-one, -on -one, some of them in very vulnerable moments. And so for me, it was always about finding the common ground, the commonality that runs through all of the stories that other people could relate to or identify with and allowing them to share those things. So in my experience, I have X, Y, Z. How did that affect you? Share me your experience and tell me how you dealt with it because it's going to be different for you than it is for me. Your walk is very different from my walk, you know, but if it brought us together for this moment in love, who else can connect to what your perspective is that will allow us to continue to grow and heal and to, to consume that energetic love that we have for each other, you know? So on the Banksy Talks podcast, it's all just going to be about people and the moments of wisdom and the life lessons that they've shared, things that their fathers and grandfathers taught them that has stuck with them, that has made a difference. You know, it's going to be all about that. And we're going to have people from music. We're going to have people from television. We're going to have people from movies and we're going to have people you've never heard of before, but they are influences in my life on the Banksy Talks podcast that will be pretty significant. Boy, I can't wait for this. This is going to be great. And we'll have links at the bottom when this gets out uh, on all the channels so folks can tune in to this amazing podcast because we need conversations. We need stories. We don't need any more 90-second uh, news bites giving us a fraction of what's really happening because our nervous system doesn't do well with that. No. So this will be like the old days when you used to go to a baseball game for two and a half hours and just sit down and shut up and just relax and watch nine innings of baseball without checking your phone or your watch. Or think about how many times you went to the barbershop and you sat in the corner and played checkers and listened to all the stories and all the jokes and the anecdotes. And when I was a young man, this and that, and you, a lot of wisdom was shared for men specifically in those scenarios. You know, this isn't a male centric podcast. There will be many women, some incredible women in my life who will be on this podcast to share their perspective as well, you know, and it's, it's that connectivity and that commonality. That's really what it's about. It's a podcast about people. Can't wait to see it, brother. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real treat to uh, connect with you at this level. You are a blessing in my life and the life of my family, you and your beautiful bride. Thank you so much, my brother. Love you, man. Love you more.